Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a ser- uh, series for uh, our Sunday morning called Second Nature. And the idea behind this service is there's a whole lot of people who believe in God that are just as messed up and selfish as everyone else, right? Don't point. That's, that's not helpful. Um, but there's a lot of people who believe in God, and we are just as messed up. We are just as selfish at times as anyone else. And for some reason, there can be a disconnect between our beliefs and our character. And we have to figure out how do we incorporate what we believe into practical character? How does our beliefs flesh out in our lives in a way where we not only believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is loving and kind and merciful, that he's forgiving and gracious, how do we act in a way that would reflect the fact that there's hope for everyone? And that we can be loving, merciful, gracious, and kind to people. So we are in this series called Second Natures because we believe there should be a way where we turn our beliefs into character. And the way we do that is through developing strong spiritual habits. Now, why is it so important to develop strong spiritual habits? I read somewhere this week, this is one of the reasons, because of muscle memory. What we learn to do in times of ease, we will be able to recall in times of hardships. So what we learn to do in times of ease, we will, learn, we will be able to recall during times of hardship. So in a sports analogy, this is what the off-season is for. You learn all the fundamentals of your sport, whether it's football or basketball, during the off-season. So when a game or a moment comes, you don't have to remember certain elements of the game. They come by second nature. And so that's what we're diving into. Last week, we talked about biblical meditation and what that looks like in the life of the believer. Today, we are looking at the subject of singing, singing as a spiritual Habit, And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. How many of you excited about a whole message on singing, by the way? The worship team's hands is raised. Okay. A few of others. This is an important spiritual habit, and we're going to dive into some, some really interesting uh, layers to what singing provides in our hearts and then really also in our lives. And so we're going to start here in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Real quick on verse 19, why are there different things listed? Well, they use different ways of singing, and what what I believe the idea behind listing psalms hymns and spiritual songs is allowing your heart and your mind the full gamut of worship when it comes to singing. We don't have to sing just one type of song over and over again. That's why there's 150 psalms, but it gives us an opportunity to sing all kinds of songs to worship, singing, and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So uh, be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in songs, spiritual songs, giving thanks. Let's go to Psalms 33. These will be the two primarily texts we use. We'll sprinkle in a few others, but Psalms 33 says this, verse 1, Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So first off, in your notes, if you're following, singing is not a suggestion to consider. It is a command. It's a command in Scripture. In fact, if you look through the course of Scripture, the best that I can tell, uh, singing is the, number, is the second most repeated command in Scripture. I believe prayer is the first uh, most repeated command. Old Testament, New Testament, there's all these references to uh, calling out to the Lord and to pray. And then second only to prayer is the command for God's people to sing. Now, when we think of the commandments mentioned in Scripture, I don't know if we often think of singing as a command, but it is a command. Psalms 133 says, make music to him in a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. In other words, do it well, do it with skill, do it joyfully done from the heart. Uh, it's, it actually says it's fitting, it's befitting. In other words, it's good for your soul. Singing is a good thing for you. In Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit, and the byproduct of being filled with the Spirit is... You'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You will sing, making melody in your heart. So singing is not a suggestion to consider. It is a command as we get started. Secondly, singing is an offering to our Creator. When it says make music in your heart to the Lord and sing and make music to the Lord, that's the Bible's language. That's the Bible's way of saying, it's poetic language of saying, this is your opportunity to bring an offering to the Lord. Now, when you think about what you know about offerings to the Lord in the Old Testament, and maybe you heard in Sunday school, or maybe you remember reading or learning in a Bible study, offerings to the Lord in the Old Testament were not done haphazardly, were they? They didn't give uh, the least of what they had available. They gave the very best. There was very careful attention to make sure that the right animal was chosen. There was very careful attention to make sure that all of the details were in place. This was a very significant thing to give an offering to the Lord. And the Bible uses the same language as in Psalm 33 when it describes singing. He's saying, hey, when you sing, you are making an offering to the Lord. Bring your best. Don't just come in here with a haphazard song, if you will. Don't come in here with a haphazard way of making melody, but do so as a way of offering something valuable to the Creator. So it is a command and it is an offering. As we get started this morning, singing also directs our hearts to our Creator. Now, ironically enough, we're going to unpack this statement with Scripture in a moment, but we're going to do so first from voices in history that either knew or didn't know who Jesus was, didn't embrace God or faith, but regardless of their position towards who God is, they recognized that singing directs our hearts to a creator. It's powerful, powerful stuff. 
So we're going to see some images from history. First, meet Igor Stravinsky. He's a Russian-born composer, one of the most influential figures in 20th century music. He's often regarded as a musical revolutionary whose uh, compositions broke with established traditions and reshaped classical music. He gave lectures at Harvard called The Poetics of Music, and in it he described Russian society in the 40s, and he said one of the primary strategies under the Soviet Union was to get control of the music in order to get control of society and culture. They recognized that if they could get a stranglehold on music, they could move culture and they could move society. Music's very powerful. It motivates people. It can move people. Martin Luther said it this way. If you want to comfort the sad, if you want to terrify the happy, if you want to encourage the despairing, humble the proud, pacify the aggressive, there's no more effective means than music. How many of you know that's true in your own life? That depending on the type of music you're listening to, you can feel yourself and your mood adjust to the music. Um, wouldn't it be awesome if they just play like heavy metal in the doctor's waiting office? <laughs> right? No, that'd be a horrible idea. You would go in and they would check your blood pressure and they'd be like, everything okay? And they're like, yes, let's do this. Let's go. To provide a calm, serene setting, right? Um, there are times where uh, I, try to, I try to tell myself, if I can control my morning, I can control the first few hours of my morning. And if I can help manage or manipulate or control the, the direction of the first few hours of my morning, and I'm not talking about the details of the day necessarily, but I'm talking about the position of my heart. If I, can, if I can point my heart in the right direction in the morning, then I usually can do so for the rest of the day. So I try to prioritize 15 minutes of worship music in the morning. And I can honestly tell you, when I forget to do so or I choose not to do so, and I'll be honest, it's normally the latter. I choose not to do so. And I go on to uh, something else, uh, and I go on to, to, to listen to uh, five minutes of news, or I, I listen to a sports podcast, or I catch up on what I've missed in, in the world of sports, or something like that, and I do that in the morning, the position my heart has is awry. But if I can prioritize worship music, it has a way of just solidifying, uh, putting foundation to my world. Martin Luther understood this. Um, Ashley Kahn understood this. Ashley Kahn is a music critic and a self-proclaimed agnostic. Wrote a book on John Coltrane. Anyone know who John Coltrane is? Jazz saxophonist. saxophonist. Ashley Kahn says this, As I listen to the album again and again, I feel compelled to address Coltrane. Spiritually, though I consider myself a dedicated agnostic and a diehard rationalist, I am ready to admit that there is much that can seem the handiwork of some eternal force under spiritual direction. Here's a person that is agnostic, would not embrace the idea of God or Jesus as being God's son, and he's saying, I'm ready to admit that there is much that can seem the handiwork of some eternal force under spiritual direction. 
You know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a truth or a love behind the universe. I don't know why we're created, but I think we just kind of happened here on accident. But when I hear this music, when I hear this caliber of music, it's hard not to feel that there isn't a divine hand behind things. Why? Because singing music points people to a creator. Leonard Bernstein was the conductor and composer, spoke about the Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And he did so this way. He says this, Beethoven turns out pieces of breathtaking rightness. He calls it the stuff from heaven. He says Beethoven has the power to make us feel that there is something right in the world, something that checks throughout throughout our lives, something that follows its own law consistently, something we can trust, something that will never let us now. So here's Bernstein and Kahn, and they're secular, and as they say, they, they, they believe that there's nothing behind the universe, that there's no God, that there is definitely no uh, person that came as, Jesus, as God's son. We're just complex pieces of protoplasm that accidentally developed the consciousness, and whether we want to feel significant or not but when they hear great music they feel like there's a divine source behind it all why would this music have this incredible power why does music have this ability Uh, one more voice Anne Lamott in her book Traveling Mercies tells about her spiritual journey and prior to coming to Christ Anne Lamott was not friendly to Christianity at all She couldn't darken the door of a church. She didn't want to listen to a sermon. Apparently, she lived near a church where she, or she worked near a church, and when she was going to and fro, she would hear great music that would come out of that building. And she said she kept on hearing the glorious noise out of this ramshackle building. And one day she went in to see what was the source of this music, and this is what she says. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore me down and wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that had kept me isolated. Sitting there, standing with them to sing sometimes, so spiritually shaky and sick that I might feel like I might tip over, I began to feel bigger than myself as I sang God's praises, like I was being taken care of, like I was being tricked into coming back to life. Why would music have this power? Because singing directs our hearts to our Creator. We look at Ephesians 5, and and Paul uses such an interesting metaphor to describe being filled with the Spirit. You see it here in verse 18. He says this, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why would Paul use this, uh, this analogy between wine and being drunk and also... Uh, comparing that to being filled with the Spirit. He says, don't do this, but do this. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, the first time the Spirit of God fell on uh, the followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember that? 
or Acts chapter 1, I should say. The Spirit of God fell on them. They started to speak and to teach in languages they had never learned themselves. And in doing so, they had both joy and confidence, right? Joy and boldness. And when the others saw the apostles filled with the Spirit, what was the accusation or question that they made? They looked drunk. Are you sh- it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Who let them get into the sauce so early? They, they, they look drunk. Why? Because they were filled with joy and with boldness. It's not in your nose, but write those two things down. Joy and boldness. Think about that. They saw a display of these apostles who were now filled with the Spirit of God. They were teaching and preaching in languages they had never known. People are coming to Jesus in a way that they had not seen before, and really the size perhaps they had never seen. By the end of chapter 2, over 3,000 people are saved, and the accusation that the religious elite would make against those filled with the Spirit is, oh, you must be drunk with wine, because what we see is irrational joy and irrational boldness. Well, one of the ways you can get a lot of temporary joy and temporary boldness is with alcohol. Being drunk takes your inhibitions away, and you're happy. You don't think about your worries, and you're bold all of a sudden. You don't care what anyone thinks. You're filled with joy temporarily. You're filled with boldness temporarily. And in some ways, being drunk and being filled with the Spirit are similar because being filled with the Spirit brings this divine joy and divine boldness. So why would Paul use this as a metaphor? Certainly there is, uh, this metaphor is not completely foolproof. There must be a distinction from being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Well, as we know, alcohol is a depressant. The way it brings you temporary joy and temporary boldness is by making you less aware of your surroundings. And when you're less aware of reality... That might fill you with a measure of temporary joy. When you're less aware of reality, it might fill you with a measure of temporary boldness. You're not really thinking of the consequences. You would say things without thinking about the, conf- the consequences. So alcohol gives you temporary joy, temporary boldness. The Spirit of God is not a depressant. I would say it is more of a stimulant. It doesn't bring joy and boldness by making you see less of reality, but by making you see more of a reality. How does that work? Well, let's imagine, let's imagine you're in a foxhole. You're in a foxhole and on enemy lines, right at enemy lines, you're all by yourself and you learn that there are 200 enemy troops coming right for you just two miles away. And you're all alone. And when you find this piece of information out, how are you going to have joy and boldness to stand your ground? How are you going to be filled with the confidence to take on the enemy? Well, a flask of whiskey would do it temporarily, wouldn't it? There's a reason why we, we, we refer to alcohol as liquid courage. It'll give you confidence because it'll make you less aware of your reality. So maybe in a blaze of glory under the influence of alcohol, you would blaze right into the enemy line and fall short. There's another way to get confidence in this situation. I would submit that you do some recon 
And what if you were to find out that there's 2,000 friendlies only one mile away from your location, and when they get there, they'll surround you and everything will be okay. So of course you're filled with confidence in that moment, boldness in that moment, because now you have more awareness of the reality around you. The example is appropriate, but maybe not practical. So let's do this. Let's, say, let's imagine if someone says something to you and criticizes you, undermines you, and hurts you. So there's a relationship in your life. There's someone that in your life where they undermine you, they criticize you, they disparage you, and you are now hurt from these words. You realize that you probably will never be able to repair this relationship or at least for a very, very long time. How will you deal with this uh, attack? Well, one of the ways is to numb yourself to the reality. You can mindlessly scroll through social media, numbing yourself. You ever find yourself scrolling and someone asks you what you're doing and you say nothing? Because it is the most accurate description of what you're doing in that moment. You're just mindlessly scrolling. So you're numbing yourself. Um, how, what's another way that you can uh, become less aware of reality? You have a pint of ice cream in one setting while deciding if you want ice cream in the first place. Right? You are just numbing yourself. You decide to become less aware of your reality. The other way to confront these types of tensions is to become more aware of reality. And when you know what Jesus has done for you and who you are because of what Jesus has done for you, when you know the, uh, the relationships in your life that are life-giving, that speak truth in your life, when you know that God loves you and the only person who's in the universe whose opinion matters considers you an absolute beauty, when you know that you and your spouse or you and your family are in this together, then you become more aware of reality. And now this tension that you're experiencing relationally outside of your primary relationships, you can address with the truth of what others are filling you up with. You become more aware of reality. Now, what does this have to do with singing? We're going to get there. Hold on. Colossians 3. Let's look at Colossians 3 for a moment. Colossians 3 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Colossians 3 says this, that the word of Christ, that's the gospel, dwell in your heart richly. And then what's the result? Well, the result is this, that you will have uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs giving thanks to God, right? And that's if the word of Christ dwells with you richly. In Ephesians 5, our text this morning as we opened up, it says, be filled with the spirit. And what's the result? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs and being grateful to God. So to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, and to have the Word of Christ dwell richly in you in Colossians 3, have the same results. 
So if the word of Christ dwells in you richly uh, and the spirit of God dwells with you richly, what ends up happening is you will be singing, making melody in your hearts, psalms, songs, spiritual songs, and being grateful. See, many people ask the question, does singing come from being filled with the spirit or then, or is it the result of being filled with the spirit or do you sing in order to be filled with the spirit? The answer is yes. It's both. You see, singing increases our heart's capacity to love our Savior. It increases our heart's capacity to love our Savior. C.S. Lewis wrote this, um, reflecting on the book of Psalms, he says this, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise just doesn't express it actually completes the enjoyment. I'm going to say that again and try to unpack this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise doesn't just express, it completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight in one another is incomplete unless it's expressed. This is so even when our expressions are inadequate, as of course they usually are. But if one could really praise anything to perfection, you could utterly get out in poetry or music or paint this upsurge of appreciation which almost bursts inside of you, then indeed the object would be fully appreciated and our delight would have attained perfect development. What he's saying is this. We delight when we express what we enjoy. Because just by saying the words, it's not just the expressing that we enjoy. We actually get the fulfillment of enjoyment when we express our enjoyment. And so when we sing, it allows us to increase our capacity to praise our Savior by putting words to music and singing our praises. It's a fascinating experiment or exercise, I should say, when we think about it. If you really love something, you don't just praise it because you love it. You praise it in order to love it when you enjoy something. You don't just praise it because you've enjoyed it. You praise it in order to enjoy it more. Lewis says the more perfect your praise, the more eloquent, more beautiful, the more fitting your praise, the more you can actually enjoy the thing you're praising. So singing increases our heart's capacity to love our Savior. You're enjoying Jesus in a way you wouldn't if you were just sitting thinking about him. And then finally this morning, singing is a way we stand with Jesus in praise to our creator. We stand with Jesus when we sing. Hebrews has this interesting verse tucked away in its book. Chapter 2, verse 11 says this. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Isn't that a great verse? Man, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Who are the ones he makes holy? This verse says we have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. Then verse 12, look at this. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my who? Brothers and sisters, 
Read this last sentence together. Ready, begin. I will praise you among your assembled people. Say those words again. Ready, begin. I will praise you among your assembled people. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to God, I will praise you, God, Father, among your assembled people. We are his assembled people, are we not? The very definition of the word church in the New Testament, ecclesia, is a called out gathering. It's an assembly. It's a gathering of people. So what Jesus is proclaiming to God is this. I will praise you among your assembled people. We've talked a lot about uh, people in the past, and we looked at some theologians, some people who have not been uh, followers of Jesus Christ, agnostics, all in this idea that singing directs our hearts to our Creator, but now it also increases our capacity. And also that when we sing and we stand and we sing praises to God, Jesus is standing there in the assembled assembly, lifting our voices with His. I want to give one more um, person or persons the opportunities to weigh in. These guys are theologians in their own right, and that's, uh, that's Andy and Barney. <laughs> I grew up with the Andy Griffith Show, um, and during the summers or the times away from school, we would watch it from 10 and 10.30. There'd be two episodes back-to-back, and me and my mom would watch the Andy Griffith Show. I've seen them all multiple times. I was thinking about Andy Griffith and this specific episode with Barney this week. It's called Barney Joins the Choir. And it's a fantastic, they're all great, but this is particularly hilarious. The basic, the, 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 the theme of the episode is Barney um, volunteers to sing tenor for the Mayberry Choir. And so John Masters gives him the job because he's desperate, but he does so without hearing him sing first, which is problematic. Uh, by the way, if you want to join our worship team, we're going to have to see you, hear you sing first. That's right. Uh, they did not do that here. Uh, John Masters gives him the job. And at the first practice, everyone realizes just how bad Barney sings. It's horrible. During the practices, they do their best to sneak around Barney and to outsing him, but he becomes emboldened by being around these other singers. And the only plan that Andy can come up with is to not hurt Barney's feelings, is to tell him, uh, you're going to get a solo. And when you do your solo, he goes through great lengths to explain to him, you just have to sing, that mic is so powerful, Barney, you have to sing as softly as you possibly can. And the mic will pick it up, it'll project your voice, but the quieter you sing, the better it will sound. Some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. I'm sitting next to so-and-so. The quieter they would sing, no. So Barney, Barney gets this instruction. He goes, well, he doesn't know is they have, um, I forget the, uh, Glenn, I wrote his name down. Uh, there's a guy named Glenn behind the curtain. And as Barney starts singing this solo in the most quietest voice possible, Glenn's thunderous tenor voice is coming through the speaker's. And you should see Barney is just so surprised with how good his voice sounds in that moment. He can't believe it. And he gets fully emboldened and he still sings there. But that's the only way they could get him to understand that the quieter he sings, the better it is for everyone. 
Um, I want you to think about that image of Barney singing and the voice of Glenn, who's a much better soloist, coming through the speakers. You know what happens when you're singing? According to Hebrews 12, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we're following him, well, Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to have them be my brothers and sisters. We have the same father. I'm not ashamed of them. I will identify with them. They are my brothers and sisters. It says that when we sing and stand and sing praises to God, Jesus is standing next to us in the gathering of people singing praises to God. Now, here's the thing. If he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, how dare we not sing when he's standing next to us? How dare we not sing while a Savior of the world who died on the cross next to us, is standing in the assembled gathering because he's chosen to identify with us as brothers and sisters. And when we sing, it is as if Barney is singing and Glenn's voice is coming through. When we sing, Jesus is singing with us. And we should be emboldened by that reality that he is standing with us. You ever sing next to someone in church and they can sing really well? And while you're singing with them, um, you start fooling yourself that you sound just as good as they do, and you start singing louder and you're emboldened, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the collective gathering of Jesus' people coming together and singing. Why? Well, it's a command. First of all, it is definitely a command. We should be doing it anyway. But more than that, it directs our hearts to our Creator. It increases our capacity to love Him. And we are identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus. And Jesus is not ashamed of us, so we are not ashamed of Him as we sing and proclaim praises to God. By the way, when we sing, it's really an image of salvation. Um, It's beautiful. Religion says, I give God a good thing, a good record. Now God owes me and saves me and blesses me. That's what religion says. The gospel says this. We couldn't provide a perfect record on our own. So Jesus lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, And that means that our flaws are covered in him. And so when God looks at me this morning, when he looks at you, he sees the beauty of Jesus. And when God listens to us sing, he hears us with the voice of Jesus. Um, Barbershop quartets have four parts in it. And um, in college, I was in a quartet, and we weren't very good, but we, we sang a lot, which... That's just how that goes. But um, if you hear barbershop quartet music, you'll have a tenor, a lead, um, a baritone, and a bass. And what they will say is, if you've ever had the privilege of hearing it live, when the four voices reach perfect harmony, musicians will say that it, it, it produces a fifth voice, a fifth sound that you can hear only because All of the other parts are in perfect harmony. This is the image of Jesus standing with us. When we sing, he stands with us. And there's a sense that there's some other kind of beauty that comes with us when Jesus is with us, when we stand and when we sing with him. Go to the next steps of your outline. 
at the end of your outline, the next steps. I want to give you some challenges today on what it looks like for you to incorporate the spiritual habit of singing. The first one there just simply says, commit to singing out loud during our church's worship time. Now, this is not an accusation, and I'm not pointing fingers, but what I'm asking you to do is to consider what would it look like if you just sang joyfully with Jesus right next to you. So commit to singing out loud during our church's worship time. Um, If you grew up in church and you already do this regularly, this is not a next step you get to take. You've already taken it. But if this is for you and you're not used to singing out loud and and maybe you're more comfortable in the confines of your bathroom or in your car where no one else is around you, then we want to give you the confidence and the boldness to sing just a little bit louder based on the, some of the spiritual truths we've talked about. God inhabits the praise of his people. It directs our hearts to our creator. It increases your capacity to to love, and when you're singing, you are standing next to Jesus in praise. Here's another next step. Begin your day listening to 15 minutes of worship music. This is something I do. We've already talked about that. Look at the next one. Begin your day by listening and singing your favorite hymn or worship song. Maybe 15 minutes is too much, but there's a hymn or a worship song that you love. What would your day look like if you just kind of said, I'm just going to sing this as I get ready, and you just start singing it. Uh, oftentimes I'll find myself singing or making, uh, uh, humming that melody throughout the rest of the day, right? What a great way to position your heart. It kind of leads back into biblical meditation that we talked about last week, where a phrase or a thought goes through your mind throughout the whole day. Uh, fourth one, read a few verses of Psalms every day, Psalm, and highlight every reference to music, singing, and praise. This is a way to incorporate different parts of our spiritual habits where we take our Bible reading, maybe our biblical meditation, and also the singing, and just identify the different ways that music is referenced in the book of Psalm. Here's the last next step, and this is one I hope all of us will commit to at varying degrees of time. Commit to listening to only worship music for a period of time. So that means... um, no other kind of music in your life during this period of time. You just put it on hold. I'm not saying you can't go back to it. I'm just saying what would our life look like if we dedicated a specific amount of time and say, hey, for one day, I'm going to listen to nothing but worship music, nothing but Christian music today. For one week, you're going to listen to nothing but Christian. For one month. And what you will notice is um, you'll start knowing all the words to the songs, right? How many of you, if I had you come up here and gave you a mic, you could recite the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song, right? Why? Because you listen to it over and over. Well, I listened to it over and over as a kid, right? You, would, you know the words because you listen. So if you did nothing but worship music for a week or a month, the songs that you're listening to, you would know the words, Um, It would put your direction of your heart for those days in such a very specific way. But then also it allows you to tap into what we talked about last week, this biblical meditation where these truths are now living deep in your soul. And what happens when they're living deep in your soul? They have a power of stability, groundedness, firm foundation. This is what we're talking about. Singing is more than the 15 or 16 minutes we'd commit to on a Sunday morning. It's a spiritual habit where God wants, he's, st- he's standing right next to you. 
in the assembled gathering. And he's like, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my brother, this is my sister, and I can't wait to sing with them. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.